All right, we are going to go ahead and wrap up the evening. If I, if I could ask the performers to join me on the stage, and one more time as they come up, please give them a huge round of applause. Everybody was so funny. Let's hear it for Mick Sterius. Give it up for Freddie. <laughs> Gangster. And let's hear it for our headliner and our organizer, Yuki Nives. Forgot, you forgot your mic. Go get your, get your mic. <laughs> all right, so uh, you've met all the comedians, performers. I hope you enjoyed their sets. How were they? So this is the fourth Not Just a Diversity Hire tonight. We wanted to do something special and have a little bit of a discussion about uh, why this project got started and what it means to the people who are participating and hopefully to the people who are coming out. Uh, the performers are going to be on the panel, and we're also joined by two special guests. Let's have a warm round of applause for Lilu Ogier. <laughs> and Samantha Lasso. First off, uh, everybody can go ahead and sit down. Lilu, can I ask you to start by introducing yourself? Absolutely. Good evening, everybody. My name is Lilu Ogier, uh, and, <laughs> and I made sure all my friends came so that they could cheer for me. Uh, so I am a director and creative director of Panic Ball Productions, which is a Tokyo-based production company. And my two co-founders are over here in the corner, Lisa and Marika. Showing off the merch, and our uh, latest uh, employee's probably upstairs, he's recording this whole thing. Thank you, Sterling. Thank you very much, and thank you for joining us. Samantha, could you introduce yourself as well? Yes, I can turn on. Yeah, so my name is Sam, I'm coming from France. Um, I have a very shy applause, thank you. That's, that's fine, we all know, everybody hate the French, it's okay, we'll take it. <laughs> That's fine. Um, I, so the reason why I'm here today is because I have a podcast that's called Femin Tokyo Podcast. It's a feminine, uh, feminist podcast about Japan and about Japanese women. So we'll talk more about that later. All right. Thank you, everybody, for participating. So as I said, this is the uh, fourth Not Just a Diversity Hire. And one of the things that's great about them, um, they're always hilarious. Everyone always, performers and audience, has a lot of fun. But also, um, there's a lot of connections made here. There are a lot of people in Tokyo looking for this kind of space. And there's a need for this kind of space. So today, we wanted to bring in some of the uh, Not Just a Diversity Hire community for a discussion about how it got started and why it's important. And we'd like to start with Yuki. Yuki, can you give us a background of why you started this event? Yeah, um, so there are two major reasons that I wanted to make this show. Uh, so one of them is I wanted to create a safe space for women. And by safe space, I mean like you go to a comedy show and you don't have to worry about being ambushed by misogynistic jokes or any like sexist jokes. Um, like about three years ago, thank you. So I started doing comedy uh, about three years ago, 
<clears throat> and then my girlfriends uh, would sometimes come to the show to support me, right? And then I was often hearing from them, like, Yuki, I love their set, but I didn't enjoy some of the, uh, some of other comedians', uh, comedians jokes. And one particular moment that was kind of a wake-up call for me was one time I invited a friend of mine and she brought uh, other women from her work. And this one uh, male comedian from outside town, he pointed at an audience member and said, shut up, you're a woman over 40. And right away, uh, my friend looked at me and then said, Yuki, this is not what I came here for. You go to comedy show to have a good time, forget about your uh, daily struggles. And then when you hear something like that, you're suddenly pulled back to the reality. Yeah, so that, I was really sad to hear that, but I was also um, glad that she told me that. Because around that time, I wasn't very, I was still new, and I wasn't really sure of a lot of things. Like, um, I wasn't sure if my feelings were valid. Uh, I wasn't sure if I was being too sensitive. But that was kind of like a um, moment that I realized that um, like I have to do something about it. Um, and then it's not just a blatant sexist joke like that, but also there are things that are so normalized in society. Like you don't even realize that something is sexist. Like resting bitch face is one of the things like that, that is only said to women. Like we are told to smile, right? Um, or like uh, women are hit a lot harder with lookism and ageism. So yeah, um, like those uh, small things that was bothering me a little bit, but I wasn't sure. Like, and then you can't tell other comedians to not to do certain jokes, right? So I wanted to create a space that I can um, have the people that I trust. So that's one thing. And then also another thing was that uh, comedy or humor is very subjective. Like you could argue that, oh, if you're funny, then you're funny. But also there are things that you, and you only understand if you are that person, if you have that experience. Uh, one of the examples being uh, my um, screenshot joke. Like every time I do that joke, a male audience member would come up to me after my set and tell, like, give me an advice on my joke. <laughs> <laughs> and tell me that, Yuki, 25 is too round of a number. You have to make it 29 or 26 to make it more realistic. But you know, if you're a woman, you know the reality is there is no woman who would go check your phone and how many DMs did I get today? One, two, three, four. We don't have time for that, right? So there are things that are only funny. You only if you know what I was talking about. Yeah, so that's, uh, so that's why I wanted to create this space that women can find funny, yeah. I think, I think probably like male comedians or audience members might give that advice because it's very easy for men to keep track of the inappropriate DMs they get because it's usually zero. <laughs> Speaking from experience, Bob. 
None. No, I couldn't get anybody fired. Uh, <laughs> but I think um, a lot of times, anytime a joke gets criticized for being sexist or for punching down or for any reason, one of the arguments that people used to push back against that is that we're being too politically correct. We're censoring certain people's voices. Comedy should be able to talk about whatever it wants to. But Freddie, I wanted to ask you, what happens when a comedian who is not a member of a group, not affected by the things that are hard hardships for that group, starts to use that group's experience as their own material? What actually happens? They get slashed by Freddie. <laughs> <laughs> how does it how does it affect you? Okay, right. So <laughs> I often feel like I'm a third grader who has a sixth grader visiting my place with his Nintendo 64, <laughs> and I suck at Smash Brothers, and he always smashes me. But that's my house, right? Like I don't play by their rules, right? Yeah. And then this motherfucker shows up and hi, hello. Something like that. And um, I'm more of a Tetris kind of person. And if I try to, you know, smash him with Tetris, they get offended. <laughs> what the fuck is that? I feel like, okay, you know what? I, I need to fight back. Uh -huh. So that's what I've been trying. Mix, did you want to jump in? The mix of metaphors was amazing. <laughs> but also, um, I feel like a lot of times when you hear, oh, it's becoming too PC, it's just another message to say, like, I don't want to face consequences for my actions. Yeah. Yeah. Like, especially the Dave Shimamanals of the world, they will often, you know, get upset, like, oh, well, you know, I have this set of comedy and it's worked for years and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, the audiences change. Audiences change with time. And demographics change with mm -hmm. time. It wasn't even that long ago that, you know, um, you know, 1960s, there was divisions of people based on color. And so, you know, the jokes, the punchlines were minorities. And now it's just becoming the same idea. Like, mm -hmm. oh, now it's trans people. But there's always going to be something. There's always somebody to punch down and things like that. But if your demographics change and they don't find it funny, that's on you. That's not becoming too PC. That's just change. Deal with it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I think that idea of somebody who is not a member of that group speaking for that group or creating the image of that group, Sam, that was also something that, that you felt was an inspiration for you to start your podcast, right? Yeah. So, yeah, that really resonates with me because the, that's the actual reason why I started the podcast is because when it comes to Japanese women, Japanese culture, a certain category of people have a lot to say. There's a lot of stereotypes running uh, on Japanese women, especially that most of Japanese women are not even aware of. You know, I was talking to Yuki the other day about that, and I told her one random stereotype that I heard about Japanese women, and she didn't even know about it, because it, they're not part of it. You know, it's stereotypes that run about them, but they don't even know. This is really, let, let's be clear, it's coming from white, cisgender, heterosexual male. You know, that's coming from men. And it's great, it's one opinion. And the reason why I started the podcast was really to hear other voice, which would be the Japanese woman. And so far I have, I think, seven, eight episodes. Not even sure, it's my own podcast. Um, <laughs> but they're all Japanese women, with the exception of one uh, cisgender 
gay Japanese man, Yoshi. Yoshi-san was great. And I want to keep it that way because we need to hear more about Japan and Japanese culture from Japanese women. I mm. think that's the most important. I think a lot of times, um, if you're a member of a group that has kind of a minority experience, there are things that are attached to those experiences, like hardships or struggles or traumas that somebody who's not a member of that group isn't affected by. But as people in the creative field, Lilu, can I ask you, um, in your work, how do you kind of use those hardships or feelings about those hardships to create? Or how do you process that through your work? Thank you, Bobby. Uh, so, I'm just going to be looking at my iPad, everybody, I'm so sorry, so I, I'm, <laughs> I'm not a performer, I'm not good at this, but um, no, so I, I, I think, you know, to answer that question, uh, my job is to highlight people and to showcase people who are struggling, and I think, you know, so Marika, Lisa, and I are an all-female-owned uh, production company, and we try our best, thank you, to do initiatives to get more women involved in film, but I think, you know, Art is one of the ultimate forms of expression, and that's what it is intended for, to kind of convey what words can't. And in my field, we create stories that portray human experiences. Uh, but, you know, I just came off of, like, an Adidas commercial last week. That's not me processing trauma. That's me trying to make money to keep us existing here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to pretend that that's what I do. But... You know, in my personal time, I'm a very young director. I've only been doing this for about three years or so. And right now, you know, I'm dealing with grief and I'm dealing with trauma, just like a lot of people are around me. Everybody has their own experience. I have amazing artist friends who create art out of nothing and use it to deal uh, with what they're going through. Um, so. What I want to say basically is that like, I don't think I'll ever create a story that fixes me per se, but I do think what I've been going through is not a unique experience. And I do believe I will create something one day that will be a story that can resonate with people. And I think making films, telling stories, creating fiction based on my experience will one day make me feel a little bit more understood. Mm. And that's what I think processing trauma is about, understanding yourself and being understood by others. So to answer your question, Bobby, in a very roundabout way, I think that everybody is trying to create something to understand themselves a bit more. And that's what I think that's about. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I want to, real quick, I want to bring it back to you, Mix, because comedy is a very specific art form where, like with a film, you can have a scary film or a sad film. Um, I've, I've done sad comedy a couple of times, but not on purpose. Um, <laughs> but... That's you as, processing your trauma, isn't it? <laughs> as, as Yuki has said, you know, comedy is supposed to be about having fun, right? You're supposed to be having a good time. But Mix, how do you kind of take those darker subjects and turn them into areas to play with or to have fun? Um, well, I kind of am of the mindset of like, if I make it funny and I laugh first when they laugh at me, ha, I've already taken your power away from you. Mm -hmm. That's mine now. Too late, I took it. So, um, but also, a lot of, for me, it's uh, from a performance aspect. Um, so uh, I, when I go on stage, be it drag or comedy, I'm also bringing a part of myself to the stage and I have lived those experiences and I have lived that trauma. I can make it funnier than some other person who's never lived through my experience. And I can make it funny in a way that someone will go, that's like me. I've had so many bisexual people <laughs> come up to me after my unicorn set and go, oh my God, it's so true. 
and it's, it's funny how there are shared experiences and you make those connections based on either, I do a drag performance even, and someone goes, I got what you were going for. Because even if it's a song and performance that normally wouldn't go together, because they have lived my experience, they understand. Mm. They understand the pain or they understand how, why it's funny. Yeah. I did a live singing show where I did um, It's a Sin by the Pet Shop Boys. And I did it where I had, at first it was like a very uh, uh, mom from the 70s, <laughs> very bad haircut that you did at home, uh, pinstripe suit kind of thing. And I took it off and I became like sexy and I had my hair all out and it was really fun. And someone goes, you grew up in the South, didn't you? <laughs> and I was like, Paducah, Kentucky, yes. Uh-huh. And so it was really funny how, even though I didn't say anything, I didn't do comedy. Mm-hmm. I still managed to make this like hit somebody in the audience really hard. They were like they knew. So for me, it's like it's processing my trauma, but I'm also kind of helping other people understand mm-hmm. their trauma too, and that made it really important. Mm-hmm. So for me, that's kind of what it's for. It's like kind of putting a bit of myself out there, mm-hmm. like it's like kind of weirdly coming out over and over and over again on stage, which can be fun, can be scary, but mostly fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yuki, I saw you uh, nodding when Mix talked about that idea. If you make somebody laugh in a way, you've kind of reclaimed the power. Did the jokes serve a function of kind of like taking a situation or something that happened to you and giving you strength or control over it? Um, I think uh, my opening joke about... Um, what's my opening joke? <laughs> <laughs> Is it oh. uh, foot massage? Oh, yeah. Sorry, I'm drunk. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's Bobby's fault. I asked him to stop me if I started drinking. Uh, he didn't. Uh, yeah, so the massage, yeah, fit, uh, fit massage joke, uh, that actually happened. Um, so, like, when uh, I, I want to talk about, like, I want to turn the things that actually happened to me into jokes. But the thing, so to me, it's uh, gaining back the power. But the thing is, I do this job, and then, like, again, male audience member come up to me after the show and, like, hey, that joke was really good. It shows that you are a pervert, too. That's not the point, though. Like, <laughs> did I answer the question? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a very good answer. You did. As we, as we start to wrap up, that's kind of exactly what I wanted to, to ask about, because I've heard privately sometimes that there are these horror stories about you're working in this field and you have this message that you're trying to get out and you're working with people who are hearing what you're saying and consuming the content that you're producing and yet completely missing the message. Like, do you have any horror stories that you'd like to share about some of the stuff that kind of fuels the jokes? Uh, or maybe, Lilu, if you have something. Too, too much, yeah. So many horror stories in the film industry, guys. (laughs) I can't even begin. I'm not going to go into all of them, but I'm just going to say that probably on a monthly basis, I will meet a new filmmaker in the industry based here. Usually they're foreign and they've, you know, given up their lives in their uh, original country to come and pursue film here. And I purposely meet with a lot of women because... And (laughs) so... Every time, I don't know what it is, but within 10 minutes or so of meeting these people, they'll introduce who they are, they'll say what they do in the industry, and they will tell me when they were sexually harassed on set. 
And it's, it, you say, oh no, but it's, it's so ridiculous how commonplace this is, you know, like women standing on set and a camera person or a director, producer, I'm sorry, producer is more common than not, will come up and say, you have huge tits, and then walk off. Or uh, so many, so many cases of uh, sexual harassment and all this kind of stuff. All this to say that this is like really prevalent and really common and even though I'm not a performer and I'm not speaking about these issues on a stage, I'm trying really hard to support that on my side. Uh, on something about just irony really quick, I know we don't have a lot of time, but last year I was approached by a producer and he was a cis white male and I don't care if he sees this spot or whatever, but he approached me and said he wanted to make a documentary uh, feature film. And that's a dream for a young budding director. And he said that the theme was feminism. He wanted to highlight Japanese women in Japan, which of course a white man would want to do and talk about. And he was looking for a young female bilingual director to lead this endeavor. So I was star-eyed and I was, I was really into this and I love this idea and I'm so excited and I'm talking to my team and I'm like, oh, we, we, this could be huge. This is exactly what Japan needs. This is what we stand for. And I'm getting really excited and I'm putting together storyboards and treatments and working days and nights. And he calls me and he says, are you ready to show me what your ideas are? And I said, yes. So I take all of my things together and I get ready. And he says, okay, I'm gonna come pick you up in the car. And he comes to my apartment and he shows up in his BMW and I get into his car and we start driving to his hotel to discuss more. And as I'm telling him my ideas, he leans over, excuse me, and he puts his hand on my upper thigh. And he says, that's great, tell me more. Would you like to tell me more in the hotel room? You guys know so much about it. This project continued for six months and I felt I couldn't give it up because I felt ob obligated to the members of the film and I ended up making a great film and I feel like I sacrificed a part of myself in that. This is a dark thing to end. I'm a badass now, I've overcome that. <laughs> and I'm doing a lot of projects of that. There's, there's so many more things we could talk about, so many more questions I'd like to ask. We are uh, running out of time. Sam, do you want to end us on a super positive note? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. No, fine. So let's stop with the horror stories. I have many, but I, I, won't, I won't share them. Um, positive note for me, if I have to focus on what I'm doing, which is podcasts. Podcast is, to me, is the future. I think it's a new generation thing. It's so positive. I can't even pretend to say that there are bad things coming from you know, the community that is somehow listening to my podcast right now. It's all positive. But what made me start my podcast were the other uh, social medias like YouTube, uh, mainly YouTube, you know, the, the main video that made me start was actually a video about a guy who was saying that chicken, the groppers, were not a big deal because his wife, his Japanese wife and his kids, Japanese kids, never talked about it with him. So he deduced, for 30 minutes he talked about it, and he deduced that croppers were not such a big problem in Japan. And the problem with, with that is that a million people, a million views, so a million people walked away from that video potentially thinking that chicken were not an issue in Japan. And that's how I started the podcast, because I thought, and, and an episode about the chicken is coming, but, you know, podcasts are here to change the world. I really feel that way with podcasts. I don't know if you guys listen to any, but 
they're in every languages. You are free to do whatever you want with it, like you know, comedians like Lilu, who's doing her movies. Uh, this is really the future, and I think you know, putting myself apart. I think with these people on stage today, I think there is hope. You know, for a Japanese woman, for women in general, and any communities, I think things are going to change. So I'm really, I'm really hyped for that. That was that was awesome to end us off. Thank you so much. <laughs> Round of applause. Thank you so much to our panelists, Samantha Lasso, Femin Podcast, Femin Tokyo, and Lilo Ogier. Also, Yuki Nives, Freddie Slasham, Mixterious. I'm Bobby Judo. We do have time for questions and answers, but you have to do it while helping us clean up chairs. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for coming out. Yuki, would you like to say something to close us out? Uh, please help cleaning up. <laughs> Thank you so much. One more time, a huge round of applause. Thank you, Hypermix. And thank you guys so much for coming out. We hope to see you at the next one.